The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On December 15th, 2017 in Toronto, Canada, police arrive on the scene of a house with what appears to the untrained eye to be a double suicide. However, upon investigation, it is anything of the sort. It's not just a normal homicide either. The victims happen to be two of the richest people in Canada. To this day, no one knows what really happened. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Barry and Honey Sherman. Police responded to a call. I was a medical Canadian police are investigating the mysterious death of one of the nation's wealthiest couples, found dead at their mansion in Toronto. The circumstances of their death appear suspicious, and we are treating it that way. The bodies of 75-year-old billionaire Barry Sherman and his wife Honey were found Friday. The Globe and Mail reports their bodies were found hanging from a railing on the edge of a basement swimming pool, and they say police are investigating a possible murder-suicide. The couple had recently listed their home for sale for nearly 5.4 million U.S. dollars. And according to media, welcome to a deep, dark, dank moist basement somewhere in the bowels of georgia well we got lucky up here in the great north northwest georgia and didn't get any uh bad hurricane stuffs but uh, a couple of our listeners that live in south georgia said they got excesses of six to eight inches of rain well i saw on instagram that the 285 right near the brave stadium was like Eight inches of water on the interstate. That doesn't surprise me because that right there is horrible about holding water. That and the Whitewater exit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if them big yeah. sewer rats came out. Probably. I was out there smoking cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> They're big enough. Um, Steinhatchie, if we have anybody that lives near Steinhatchie, I watched a time lapse video of the storm come in there. That's a little, that's a little hairy. Uh, the winds were not too bad, but the storm surge and uh, flooding rains was a little, little much, a little much. But I think we all survived it. I talked to a buddy of mine in Savannah. He said they got a little bit of wind, but ba- basically rain. And so hopefully everyone's okay out there in podcast land. But we, uh, coach had a conundrum. He was warned not to Google and he Googled. Ruined it, man. <laughs> but it's still good. It's going to be my recommendation. I'm going to recommend me some Justified today. Uh, it was good stuff, man. Yeah. Our fan Terry said, don't Google it. Whatever you do. I didn't Google it. I just got online. I just got on my Google and the suggested article ruined the ending. But it's good. That's all that matters, man. It's all that matters. So I don't know 
if any we have any crossover listeners, but your Florida man picture of the guy that painted himself white that was the yeah. Joker. Yeah. Cigar store idiots did that as their Florida man uh newsreel. And he hmm. said to if you want to know why he does Florida man news he said just type in Florida man paints himself and he said white is not one of the first ten choices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can always count on Florida man to entertain. Yes, 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 you can. So let's kick this one off for part two. When we left, the bodies of Barry and Honey Sherman had been found at their measly $6.9 million home. I'm tongue-in-cheek there, boys and girls, tongue-in-cheek. And we were about to get into theories, and I guess what the cops believe, different angles that are out there. I was telling Coach off-air that True Crime Garage did this early after the murders, and they felt like that it would be solved pretty quickly due to the amount of money and how prominent Barry and Honey both were in the Toronto society. However, that has not been the case, and despite a $35 million reward... For any information, five million dollars. That's thirty-four million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine reasons for me to turn somebody's ass in, dude. If yeah, <laughs> I promise you, if I knew anything about this case for thirty-five million dollars, I would sell you up the river in a heartbeat. For a million, I would do it. Oh yeah, it's like the girl in the that does the the famous TikTok or reel now. It's, she's videoing her boyfriend or fiance. Would you punch me in the mouth for a billion dollars? He said, "Not only would I punch you in the mouth, I would knock you out." <laughs> yeah, for a billion? Shit, there's not a person alive I wouldn't punch in the mouth for a billion. Oh, I know. But anyway, I punch. I'd punch Brock Lesnar square in the face right in for a million dollars and promise him a million dollars if he don't do nothing back to me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you, okay, you strike a hard deal, I'll give you 10 million. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, that's true. All right, so the first theory out there, and there was three main ones when this occurred. The first one was that this was a contract killing on behalf of one of the major drug manufacturers that Barry had pissed off. Now, it does hold a little bit of water, and it would make a hell of a movie if it really was insider trading slash story about how they off this uh, prescription guy who had been making, basically cracking their drugs and making a generic cheaper version. And I'm not saying that the drug companies don't have enough money to hire contract killers. But from what I could gather, they have almost like a slush fund where they will put your ass in court over a long period of time and try to bankrupt you. Well, Barry had already made his money, so it was just basically an old Mexican standoff when it came to who was going to sue Apotex. And Barry didn't care. He had enough money that he could drag it out as long as the drug companies wanted to. And he 
won more than he lost and was playing the odds. So while... Yeah, as we covered last time, the man doesn't care to spend a day in court. No. Not at all. He is not afraid of a courtroom. at one bit. No. Now, and they also, drug companies also sue other prominent drug companies if they think they have infringed on their patents. So this is not just put to any of the, I guess, the generic drug manufacturers like Apotex, but like Eli Lilly has uh, has um, sued Bayer before and vice versa and all the big, big names. Pfizer sued Lilly. Pfizer sued, you know, you name it, they've sued each other. So again, it did sound like that was a possibility when we first began researching this, but the more you look into that theory, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, have drug companies had doctors killed off? Eh, that might be another episode. I'm sure it's happened before. Yeah. At least once. Now, the main theory, and this is the one that we will kind of keep going back to, is that this was some sort of retribution killing. And by that, it's... People have said that this is something... The murder was because of something Barry may have done to someone, or it may have been a business dealing that adversely affected somebody that felt like Barry did that personally to them. Now that may or may not be the case, but that is the main theory. Everything comes back to this retribution killing someone close to the Shermans as we will get further into it. Was it a family member? Was it his cousin's? Now, remember, his cousins had tried to sue him for 20% of Apotex because he was supposed to give them 5% of his uncle's company, their father's company, when they turned of age. But he sold that company when way before that. And the way I kind of read into a little bit more of this case was, yes, Barry did sell empire labs and rolled that money into making apotex but it was kind of rumored that empire was starting to decline so it was the right time to sell that company so the cousin sued because he was supposed to give them five certain amount of one company yeah they, he was we just sold it he, yeah it was a clause in the company that if if Something happened, and the the company was sold. Then that deal was null and void. Well, the cousins basically all went into foster care because I think the oldest one was around eight. And uh, that's why you got to be very specific in your wills. Yes, the wording is very important. It it really is. And so Barry had reconnected with his. Well, wait, wait, wait. Have you heard about like? A lot of people, like if you hate a certain child or whatever, you leave them a dollar. I have heard of that. Just because if you don't, if you don't mention them at all, they can drag it out legally for years, saying that you, that the person that died just forgot about them because of their mental state or whatever. But if you specifically put in the will, Arlo gets a dollar. <laughs> That's all Arlo gets. That's all Arlo gets, and there's nothing that Arlo can do about it. 
Just keep that in mind, folks. If you really dislike one of your children, and we all do, there's one. You know. <laughs> oh God! I just it. coughed in everybody's ear, and I apologize. <laughs> I was trying to mute it and double punch. Did I do apologize? But anyway. <laughs> oh man. So. The way that I had read, and there was a couple of things, it was in the documentary, it sounds like that Barry had kind of kept up with his cousins, trying to make sure they were okay, but it, they had not technically reconnected until, I think, 1997, and it was at that time that there was, I think Barry offered three of the four cousins a job at Apotex. But he also began to financially help them, and the amount of help that he gave to all four of his cousins between 1997 and the year 2000 totaled $15 million. So he wasn't, you know, horrible. No. It it sounds terrible when he's like, well, he just sold that company, so he didn't have to give them shit. But he still gave them shit. Right. Now, one of the cousins, Jeff, began researching their father's company and finds old documents and finds out that Barry should have given each of them 5% stock in Empire Labs. And since he didn't, then they want 20% combined of Apotex, which would be just short of $1 billion. And he was like, you know what? I don't think so. And then he cuts them off from financial help. And I may have spoke too soon. (laughs) (laughs) And one of his cousins, Carrie, actually says that he would like to, quote, cut off Barry's head and roll it down the parking lot, end quote. Now, the cousin Sue, and like we discussed last week, and we'll touch it on again, they sue Barry and, and, and then they name Apotex as... I guess a co-defendant. Anyway, the court battle goes on from like 2002, maybe, or 2001 to 2017, when a judge dismisses the winner's case for no grounds. Basically says, I don't know how it made it this far and why it's been drug on, but we're dismissing this case because you do not have a legal leg to stand on. Carrie became so irate, that's when he made that comment, and felt like that he should have had a stake in Apotex. But since he, him and his siblings decide, decided to cut their nose off to spite their face, their little cash cow was now gone. And Barry was like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't have to give you shit. And now that you've tried to sue me for a billion dollars, you're not getting anything. Well, if you just feel like that you've been cheated out of a billion dollars, that would, in some circles... Seem like motive. Yes, yes. And then you have one of your brothers not only having motive, but in the public eye, there was a the news documentary up there in Canada, The Fifth Estate. He was on it talking about how he had fantasized about killing Barry. He then did another news thing with the Toronto Star. He doubled down and said, I think that's where he said he'd like to cut his head off and roll it down the parking lot. But the more you listen to his two interviews, the more you realize that Kerry is a few bricks shy. And 
he was a recovering addict of various drugs, but at the time of Barry's death, or Barry and Honey's death, he was actually the general contractor for, I think it was six multi-million dollar homes being built, and he had an alibi. Now, it is in question whether or not he would have had an alibi the day that police think that Barry and Honey passed or was murdered, but it's like splitting hairs. And so the, the police have basically come out and said that they have looked into Kerry and right now he is no longer a person of interest. They did not dismiss him. They just said he was not a person of interest. Mm. So he may have been just braggadocious, if you do say. Well, if, if you're guilty of committing murder, you're probably not going to go on the fifth estate telling people that you fantasized about murdering. True. Now, I mean, I wouldn't. I'm just saying I wouldn't. It's not, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. No, not a good look. That's right. Now, right after Barry and Honey's murder, Kerry does an interview with one of the local news stations in Toronto where he says some serious accusations against Barry. He tells the reporter that Barry had once inquired about having Honey killed because, quote, he despised that bitch, end quote. Now, this, according to Kerry, was brought up in a conversation him and Barry had one afternoon in his office, and they said that Kerry liked to basically tell fish tales. He liked to say that he knew these, these kind of people, he knew this kind of people, and basically the it got back to where Kerry told Barry that he once knew a mobster or he knew someone that knew someone that knew a contract killer. And supposedly Barry tells Kerry, Oh really? I'd like for you to kill honey because she's driving me crazy. This would have been some damning evidence into the murder suicide angle of this case had Carrie come forward right after the accusations were levied, but come to find out in another interview that Carrie does, this allegedly was said, I think back in 2003. So you can take it with a grain of salt. Now, police and journalists have looked into the claims, and like I said, they find that there's really no grounds for for them. Nobody else had ever heard Barry say an ill word towards Honey, and it's just basically Carrie's word against a dead man's. What is one of the sticking points of this case is the fact that if you go with a retribution killing, if you go with a retaliation killing on Barry, or you go with corporate murder that another drug company had Barry killed, the wild card is Honey, because Remember, she came home first and the murderer or murderers either used her to gain access into the house or they had two or three hours with her before Barry got home. And it just doesn't make sense if you go back to the corporate contract killing. Why would a drug company kill the wife first and then wait on Barry to get home when they could have easily just picked his ass off in the parking lot? Well, maybe that wasn't a plan. Maybe Honey wasn't supposed to be home. Maybe they had it planned out, and she just happened to be there. And I mean, if you're already there, ready to murder, you just go murder. Shows up, you're gonna you're gonna kill. I mean, seriously, you're gonna kill them too. But well, that's just gonna be like, oh, well, it's the woman. Oh well, no, well, that's true. 
but I think it kind of honey's being part of this kind of buries the contract killing in my case. Just in my opinion. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Now, I will say if it is a f- scorned family member, then Honey's just as much to blame as Barry, so that may be why she was targeted. Now, the investigation turns towards her dealings with all of her charitable organizations. Could she have had someone that had a grudge against her? Honey was very outgoing, but she was also very blunt. If she wanted something, she was going full bore for it. Now, this could be a new house, or it could be raising money for charity, anything. Most of which, the charities that she championed centered around the Jewish community. Now, after getting interviews with some of Honey's friends, it's quickly realized that she really did not have any enemies that they could find that would be willing to carry out a double murder. And you have to keep in mind, She's 70 years old at the time of her death, and Barry's 75 at the time of his death. And all of their friends are close to their age. So it's not like someone around, like a friend of theirs would have murdered them. This, again, kind of turns the investigation towards someone who had personal knowledge and familial ties to both Barry and Honey. So now we get into a character, I guess is what you could call him, uh, one Frank D'Angelo. And he and Barry got to know one another when Frank was starting to try and get a juice company off the ground in Toronto, but could not crack the main cold press companies within the surrounding areas. Basically, he had this recipe, but he didn't have access to a cold press. None of the people, none of the big juice companies around Toronto were willing to listen to him. So somehow he gets Barry's number, and it just so happens that Barry has a factory that has a cold press in it and a bottling side of it. So after a quick sales pitch by Frank, Barry agrees to become partners in D'Angelo Juice Company. Now, Frank quickly gets a foothold in the juice business and starts making some money. He then decides that he wants to venture into the beer business. And he approaches Barry with the idea with one catch. Basically, he was going to go over to Belgium and he was going to scour the country for a recipe that he loved. But see, what had happened was Frank had run all his credit cards up to the max and could not get a ticket to Belgium. I thought you were going to say he went over there and realized Belgian beer sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but it does. (laughs) So Barry pays off. Sorry for the hot take, but I'm just saying. (laughs) I can't can't stand it. If you have any listeners from Belgium, I apologize, but it's the yeast, man. Do something about your yeast. (laughs) So Barry pays off Frank's credit cards, which allows Frank to travel to Belgium. But Frank, being like a bull in a china shop, basically rents a car as soon as he touches down, drives to the first brewery he finds, samples their beer, falls in love with one of them, and talks the owner into selling him his recipe. Then he flies (laughs) back to Toronto and steel breweries is formed. 
Now, Frank doesn't just dip his toe in the beer business. He goes headfirst in the shallow end. And he releases 11 different types of beer under the steel umbrella within six months. And quickly, steel becomes a money pit and begins to owe millions of dollars to creditors, totaling up to $120 million. And there was one person they owed $100 million to, and that was one Barry Sherman. Now, yeah, so Barry allows Frank to file bankruptcy under the condition that his son, Jonathan, will take over CEO responsibilities of Steel. Now, despite Barry and Jonathan's best efforts, the company closes its door within a couple of years of filing bankruptcy. And I think there was a released email that Jonathan had sent Barry basically saying, look, you know, it's not really Frank's fault. This company is just hemorrhaging money. So after the close of Steel, Frank then approaches Barry about getting into the movie business. Barry backs him, and Frank releases between 2013 and 2017 seven movies who... Anything we might have heard of? No, 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 because... these the Harry mo- Potter movies? These movies were written by and also starred one Frank D'Angelo as the lead. Oh, nice. Yeah. Now, somehow, Frank does manage to get... Were they pornographies? No, they were centered around mob movies because he somehow gets Margot Kidder, Robert Logia... Robert Logia. Logia, I know. (laughs) And then Paul Sorvino and even James Caan to co-star. What? Yes, sir. What's this guy's name again? Frank Frank Sorvino? D'Angelo. Frank Frank D'Angelo. Yes, one Frank D'Angelo. Now, Frank is quickly a suspect due to the amount of money that Barry had contributed to all of Frank's business adventures. Police do their due diligence, however, and just like the family's private investigation team, both the police and the PIs quickly conclude Frank didn't have anything to do with Barry and Honey's murders. And if you think about it, Frank would have to be a blithering idiot to kill his cash cow. Hey, hey, hey. I wasn't too far off. In 2019, he appeared in a supporting actor role in the film The Last Porno Show. I just about spit my drink all over this mic. I wish you would. I wish you would. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So now we get to some of our listeners from north of the border's favorite suspect, and that is one Jonathan Sherman. So a family member comes forward that there was a chain of emails beginning in 2015 and continuing up until the death of Barry and Honey in 2017 between Jonathan and Barry. In the emails, Jonathan expresses how Frank D'Angelo is a terrible businessman, and he tells his father that from his estimations that Frank has squandered upwards of $100 million of bad business deals. Okay, hold up. Listen to this. James Kahn, after appearing in D'Angelo's Sicilian Vampire, (laughs) claimed he only worked for the dubiously talented filmmaker out of a desperate need for cash caused by legal issues due to his divorce. 
Khan referred to his appearance in the movie as a humiliation in court, saying he'd rather die broke than be reduced to doing another D'Angelo film. Dang. That's pretty bad. That's saying something. Yeah. I mean, are, are these the old, were D'Angelo's movies the, the old straight to DVD, they straight to streaming? I'm sure. Oh, well. Now, Jonathan wants to know why Barry is funding Frank and not his own son's business deals. Because he wants Papa Barry to cut Frank off and tells Barry that he needs to give all the money that he's given to Frank to him so that he can start a storage business and it's only going to cost $250 million to get it going. Barry politely tells him that it is his money and he will continue to back Frank. And as a thumb to the nose and the middle finger to his own son, he closes said email with a trailer to Frank's newest movie attached. So not only, son, am I not going to help you get your new storage business off the ground, I'm going to continue to back the guy you don't like. And by the way, here's his latest movie release. So Jonathan does not like this one bit and begins emailing his three sisters about Barry. He titles the email, quote, shareholders. He goes on to explain that he feels as if Barry is no longer mentally capable of running Apotex. Jonathan sees himself and his sisters as the major shareholders of the company. He looks into having Barry declared mentally incapable of running the company due to backing Frank D'Angelo's numerous ventures. Now, the sisters do not quite see it like Jonathan does, and one of them tells Papa Barry. And Barry takes the email to his CEO at the time, Jack Kay, and says, Quote, look, see, he's trying to take over my empire and laughs it off. Now, there is a big deal made out of this whole Jonathan Angle in the Canadian documentary, Billionaire Murders. I don't know how I feel about Jonathan. I think he could have helped himself out a little bit better. But again, he comes from money. They try to stay out of the public eye as much as I can tell. The, the daughters at least did. So I'm kind of on the fence about whether or not he really was mad enough at his father to have him killed. A lot of people up north think he did, or at least have, has something to do with it. In October of 2018, the private investigation firm and the lawyer Brian Greenspan, Brian Greenspan hold a press conference at Apotex where they put the Toronto PD on blast. And basically say in the news conference that it is due or due to the poor investigation skills of Barry and Honey's death is the reason that it's not been uh, solved. They state that it took the Toronto Police Department nine months to collect DNA samples from the Sherman's physical trainer who was at the house on Wednesday morning, December 13th, just two days prior to when police say that Barry and Honey were murdered. Mr. Greenspan goes on to state that the police failed to investigate and process the crime scene. He goes. He also states how they failed to realize that the manner in which the bodies were left was a staged scene. And he says that Barry's eyeglasses were perfectly placed on his face 
with his legs outstretched with one leg crossed over the other. He goes on further stating that not only did the police drag their feet with the DNA samples, but they also did not take fingerprints of the entire house. He produces a record that his team has found 25 fingerprint and palm impressions that were missed and how they found these only after the crime scene had been, had been released to them six weeks after the murders had occurred. The mic drop comes at the end of the press conference when Greenspan states that on behalf of the Sherman family, they are offering a reward of $10 million for information that would lead to the arrest and conviction of a suspect or suspects. And they set up a call center to take any and all tips. So in 2018, the, which is roughly, I think it was right after a year. So it was the year anniversary, I believe. It's when the first reward is offered, and the first reward is $10 million. And again, I'd still rat your ass out. Quickly, Toronto Police Department catch wind of Greenspan's press conference, and they hold their own press conference. And I mean quickly, as in within like two or three hours. Chief Sanders states that Greenspan does not have the right to reveal intimate details of the crime scene. He goes on to state that with Greenspan describing the details of how the bodies were discovered, This will severely hinder his detectives in moving forward. A lot of the Sherman's friends were shocked that Greenspan would do what he did, and to this day, no one knows if his tip line ever produced any actionable leads or if the fingerprints that he claims to have found were ever ruled out. Not a word has been leaked on on that aspect of the private investigation. So we fast forward to December 16th, 2018, a year and a day after Barry and Honey's bodies were found. And Jack Kay, the CEO of Apotex, is fired by the board. And it just so happens that the person leading the charge to fire Jack Kay is none other than Jonathan Sherman. And they said that he made a big deal out of walking Jack Kay out of the building grandstanding. Which was a Bush League on his part because from what I could gather, everyone loved Jack and Jack had been beside Barry from day one. No one knows why Jack was fired. Because he knew too much. That may be the case because in early 2019, there is a short news segment on a video that was released from... 50 Old Colony Road, and the same road that the Shermans lived on. The house across the street and at an angle from the Shermans' house had a camera that monitored their driveway, but it also caught the Shermans' driveway. On Thursday, December 14, 2017, around 9.30 a.m., the surveillance video from this house shows a car parked near the Shermans' driveway. It also shows a man exit, head up the driveway to the front door. Now, those who have seen the video state that the man walks into the house and then reemerges minutes later and retrieves something from his vehicle, then proceeds to head back to the front door. This occurs three separate times. From the time he exits his vehicle to the time he leaves for good is a total of 29 minutes that he was on the Sherman's property. 
Forensic sources close to the investigation surmise that the Shermans are more than likely already deceased when the man enters the residence, if he even entered it at all. Because there's a lot of people that have seen the video and say that he never entered the residence. It, he just walks out of the angle of the camera. Now, three days after the article titled 29 Minutes Barry and Honey Sherman's Home, Who Was Their Visitor?, is released, Chief Sanders makes an impromptu comment about the mystery man at a, a press conference already going on. One of the reporters asks him about that, and he says, quote, I can tell you we knew who the person was, why they were there, and so it is not in any way that we dropped the ball, end quote. Oh, wow. But he won't release who it is? Correct. Basically, we know who it is, and it's none of your business how we investigate this crime. So there's a pissing contest going on, and it just so happens to be between the Toronto Police Department and this attorney and the family's private investigation firm. You're not going to solve a crime being contentious with people, other people trying to solve the crime. I agree 100%. 100%. (laughs) Now, in March of 2019, Kevin Donovan, the chief investigative reporter with the Toronto Star, sends Jonathan Sherman 31 questions via email since he has refused to meet with anyone in the press. Jonathan responds to Kevin's surprise with, quote, I have provided the Toronto Police Service with the entire exchange between Mr. Donovan, Mr. Greenspan, and myself, along with my comprehensive written responses to each and every question, which Mr. Donovan set out in his email on May 10th, 2019. So Jonathan responds. He just answers the questions and mails the questions and his answers back to the police and not Mr. Donovan who asked the questions. So what the fuck are you doing? I'm just listening to you, man, right now. (laughs) I mean, and here's the thing, people. I know first world first world problems here, and I would hate for my mother and father at their age to be found murdered, but I would not make two dick moves within a year of each other, one firing the second in charge of the company my father had started, and then this bullshit about these questions, the reporter has, from what I can gather, all of the major news stations in Canada, especially in Toronto, had tried to get any of the family to talk, and nobody would. And it's not like the Kardashians where you can't get them to shut the fuck up. They were just being tight-lipped. And so Donovan reaches out. I want to say in the the documentary, I think he says that this is like the sixth or seventh time he had written to Jonathan asking for an interview, and then he gets this pompous-ass response. Oh, I've answered your questions, but I just met, I emailed the answers to those questions, along with the questions to the Toronto Police Department after consulting my attorney. And I'm like, dude, just say no. Just, no, I'm not going to do it. That would have been easier. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, nobody, if you're just going to be, we're not talking to anyone in the public, we're not talking to anyone in the press, at least stand your ground and stay that way. But yeah, it is what it is. Now, Celia Pasternak, a friend, a friend, one of them friends that the Shermans has, she contacts Mr. Donovan and tells him that the people who are the trustees of the Sherman estate 
live at a property that Barry owned at one time. She provides Mr. Donovan with the address of said property, and he does a property search on the address. Comes back with four names. And you may be thinking, why in the hell is he going over this? Well, backstory, uh, Barry and Honey's, or I guess the Sherman estate will, was sealed by the courts because, according to the family, there might be something in the will that could target the rest of the family members and cause them bodily harm. And so it's been like this cat and mouse thing. Everybody's trying to find out who the trustees are of this will. So this is where Celia steps in, drops the dime on the property, and when Mr. Donovan looks at the property, it comes back under four names. Alex Glassenberg, who is SureFam's CEO, which that really does stand for the Sherman Family Company. And it's actually Sherman Family Holdings. Brad Krawchak, who is married to Barry and Honey's daughter, Alexandra. Jack Kay, who is now the former CEO of Apotex. And the last person is none other than Barry and Honey's son, Jonathan Sherman. So we now know who the four men of the trust or the four trustees are of the Sherman estate. And by Mr. Donovan finding this through a public record search, he approaches the courts to get the entire will unsealed. So April 24, 2019, the Sherman legal team had been arguing in court that Barry and Honey's will needed to be sealed to protect other family members, like I said, especially the executors of the estate who... We just know who they are since Mr. Donovan was able to find these names through a public record search. The judge looks at basically looks at the Sherman lawyer team and is like, y'all are dumbasses," and says, all right, we rule in favor of Mr. Donovan. So the will is unsealed. And he states in the documentary that he's thinking, I, I'll get like a file attachment to an email or I'll get, um, something in the mail, like photocopies, bad photocopies. No, he gets the real deal with the notarized mark of the will sent over in thick manila envelopes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's like, you don't send him the real will. That's what I send him a copy. Right. Like, I mean, just, you know, you just lost a major court battle. You're going to do what most lawyers do, find the shittiest copier in the whole country of Canada and make copies of the will. <laughs> it makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, oh, you won? Well, have have a good time trying to read this shit. Yeah. So May 2019, the Sherman family petitions the North York City Council to demolish the home of their parents at 50 Old Colony Road. Not only is it demolished, but the home is not even cleaned out. An urban explorer contacts the same Mr. Donovan at the Toronto Star, telling him that he can view some pictures and a video of the Sherman home the day before the bulldozer starts rolling through. And the reason is, he is what they call an urban explorer. He goes in... And I guess it's an adrenaline rush for some of these people. But they go in to some of these old factories and buildings right before they're supposed to be demolished. Sneak in, break in, however you want to word it. 
Um, and then video what they find and see. No, nope, not me, especially a double homicide. I'm good. I'm not going in there. That's, that's, a, that's a good way to get stabbed by a hobo. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Mr. Donovan's like, sure, hell, I, you know, I can write about it. And so he goes and meets this guy who he keeps his identity to this day under wraps and looks at the pictures and the video. And he kind of describes in the documentary that you can see inside the home and he was expecting that the guy would be walking through with his video camera and it would just be like a home for sale. No, that is not the case. This house is fully still at this like witching hour, fully furnished. Like the bed is still made where Barry and Honey slept. There's still clothes in the closet. Some of her jewelry is still there. There are furniture, clothes in the dressers, electronic equipment, appliances, all of that stuff still in there. It even, Damn. yeah, the video this guy takes even shows a thank you note from a friend of Honey's that had sent her thanking Honey for making a generous donation to one of her friend's charities. You would think that they would, you know, they'd been looters or something. That's a missed opportunity there. There's yeah. jewelry in the house? Yes. And what's That's crazy What's crazy is one of their friends drives by when she hears about the house being bulldozed, and she happens to take a cell phone video, and they show this in the documentary, and this prized possession lamp that Honey had on her desk is still in the same place. And one of, like, the throw blankets is still draped across a couch i mean it's weird how the house was not cleaned out it was just basically it shows a excavator just rolling through there and ripping the floors apart that's wild it is so on october 16 2019 the police hold a police the police hold a police conference the police 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 I know that's hard to do if you're the police the police (laughs) hold a press conference in which they explain to the public that the private investigation through Mr. Greenspan's office has concluded. Not only has it concluded, but everything that that private investigation team had gathered has now been turned over to the Toronto Police Department. The police asked the public if they have ever submitted tips to that team to please resubmit those tips now to the Toronto Police Department's Homicide Division. Inspector Hank Insigna tells the press and the public That the family is now working hand-in-hand with his office and his department in trying to solve the murders of their parents, Barry and Honey. What is revealed through some people close to both the Sherman children and police insiders is that the investigation has turned to the estate of Barry and Honey Sherman. Specifically, who got what and who did not get what. Now, just before Barry and Honey are found dead, it is found out that Barry had lost one of his cases of patent infringement against a major drug company and was going to have to pay $580 million as a penalty. I don't know about you, but... That's chump change for them. I don't have 580 cents lying around right now. Nope. (laughs) So, basically, Barry is worth a billion dollars. His company is worth billions of dollars, but 
That is all on paper. He does not have $580 million in liquid assets. And for those of you that don't know what liquid means, it means your ass can lay some hands on that cash. Yeah, a lot of people that are billionaires or whatever, a lot of it is tied up in their property, their, you know, their, their assets, their stocks, their bonds, all that bullshit. It's not like they have that kind of cash laying around. Yeah, they don't have a wall safe and there's stacks of Benjamins in there. I mean, don't get me wrong. They got more money on hand than we do, but I mean, just a little bit shy. I mean, we're just we're just educators, and we're just a little bit shy of that mark. I mean, if, if he had called, I could have made some calls and maybe have got him some money. Just saying, I got five on it, <laughs> just like in college. That's right. I got a five. I, actually, man, I got you, you got five on it. You you actually hit me on a good day. I got a ten spot. I'll give you. <laughs> so Barry contacts Jonathan and asked him basically to pay between 50 and 60 million dollars back to Barry. Jonathan says, look, dad, as much as I want to help you out, me and my partner are about to take a trip to Japan and getting that much money will take some time. Like, you know, he agrees that he's going to get Barry the money, but tells him it, he will start the process once he returns from Japan. Now, Jonathan is contacted by Mr. Donovan again, asking him if he would like to comment on a piece that he is about to publish in the Toronto Star, in which he will not be accusing Jonathan of murdering Barry and Honey, but that his father was asking for a large sum of money back, which might lead some of his readers to draw a conclusion that that's enough for motive. Jonathan responds and finally grants Mr. Donovan an interview to clear up any questions that he may have. Now, in the documentary, Mr. Donovan does video record him going to meet Jonathan, and he is a nervous Nancy. Now, they do finally have their meeting, and Jonathan confirms that, yes, Papa Barry had asked him for that amount of money. He even shows emails between him and his father, that confirmed the amount, but he explains that this sort of thing happened all the time because Barry would ask for large sums of money in the case of having to have a liquid amount to either purchase things or pay fines or settle lawsuits, etc. Just like Jonathan would ask his father the same when he needed a down payment on a new business or he needed to break ground on a new factory, etc., etc. He goes on to explain that he has, or that he was the one that pushed for the hiring of Brian Greenspan and his private investigation team as a counter investigation between, or as the Toronto police were starting theirs. He also says that his sister Alexandra has convinced the other two sisters that Jonathan is culpable in some fashion in their parents' deaths. Now, Donovan asks about the firing of Barry's longtime second-in-command and CEO of Apotex, Jack Kay. According to Jonathan, his side of the story was that Jack was micromanaging Apotex so severely that it was affecting the company's bottom line, and a change had to be made, and he made it. Soon after the interview with Jonathan, his sister Alexandra contacts Mr. Donovan, and she explains that Jonathan had become so power-hungry, and she was nauseous about it. She said that Jack Kay 
who is the CEO or former CEO and second in command of Apotex, and Jonathan were like two alpha males that continuously butted heads and that Jonathan took offense to Jack moving his office into Barry's office shortly after the murder. So Jack is interviewed by a separate reporter on the phone, and he states, and this audio is out there if you want to look it up, quote, in most murder cases around the world, just follow the money and hangs up the phone. So has Jonathan maybe slid back up to some of your charts as being a prime suspect? Uh, ain't doing himself any favors, that's for sure. No, not at all. Now, June 2021, the Canadian Supreme Court rules in favor of unsealing the Sherman's will. So finally, like we said, he gets a hard, or Mr. Donovan gets a hard copy of that will. What is gleaned from it is that Honey did not have her own separate will, and she was named sole beneficiary in the case that Barry passed first, which is normal. Since they both passed at the same time and no one could find out whether or not Honey had her own will, the entire Sherman estate would be divided equally between the four children when they reached the age of 35. There is not one charity named in the will that would receive any part of the estate or any holdings, which a lot of people find extremely odd since the Shermans were major donors to a slew, a plethora, if you will, of charities. <laughs> not only in Canada, but across the world. With the police still holding to the, quote, estate as a key part of their investigation, with the will being unsealed, you would think the police would come out and say that each of the children are not considered persons of interest. But that doesn't happen. And it still hasn't happened, which is quite odd, if you ask me. Very, very odd. So we get to the main theory. So we're going to wrap a bow on this, and we're going to get Coach's take on it. So the main, main take, main theory. So buckle up, Buttercup. Here it is. Reader's Digest version, three paragraphs. Ready, set, and go. The main theory is that whoever killed the Shermans either was lying in wait inside the home when Honey arrived around 8 p.m., or they were lying in wait as she opened the door to go inside, bum rushed her, and gain access that way. This would account for her phone being in the front of the home due to her trying to make an escape. It is believed that she did call emergency services, but it didn't connect long enough for authorities to pinpoint her location. The killer or killers then bind Honey and take her to the pool area. In the pool area, one of the walls is that 1990s Miami Vice style square glass blocks. And that wall is a shared wall with the garage. It is believed that the killer or killers could see Barry's headlights as he pulls into the garage to park. This would allow them to position themselves at the door leading into the lower hallway where his gloves and that inspection report were found by the realtor. He is then led into the pool room where he sees Honey. Now, it is unclear if she died first or if she was left alive to make Barry more compliant. Either way, the Shermans meet their demise via ligature strangulation, not from the belts that were found around their necks, but what people close to the investigation call, quote, a thin wire or a rope, end quote. We get to the mystery 
man now that is captured on the neighbor's surveillance camera. What is gleaned during Kevin Donovan's investigation with the Toronto Star is that there was an emergency service call around 9.30 a.m. the day before the Shermans are discovered. Without confirmation, Mr. Donovan has theorized that the person seen approaching the home is a plainclothes officer who checks the doors in the perimeter of the home for any signs of trouble and not seeing anything, he leaves. This would explain the cryptic comment from the chief of police in Toronto about knowing who the man is and dismissing it. Now, in December of 2021, four years after the murder of or murderers of Barry and Honey, the Toronto police hold a news conference where they release a security video from a home on Old Colony Road that shows a man walking in the direction of the Sherman home and is not seen for a, quote, suspicious amount of time before he is seen walking away from the Sherman home in the direction in which he came. He is dubbed the walking man, and that is the security footage photo that I shared to our social media channels. Police keep the video quiet due to trying to determine if the walking man made a call during his walk. Supposedly, allegedly, it takes the Toronto Police Department four years to go through 300 plus phone calls that triangulated to that area. Did they happen to contact the two airports near Toronto to see if the walking man made an appearance on their security cameras that same evening? No, they didn't. Why may you ask? Well, it's because they didn't think to do such a thing. And they even said that out loud. They said, no, we didn't. Even, yeah. They said, no, we didn't even think about contacting the airports. I'm like, I'd have lied. I'd have been like, yeah, we called them. They didn't see nobody. Because supposedly in the in the video, and it's I want to say the video seeing the guy walking, it's almost like a ring door camera, but grainier black and white security footage. Supposedly this guy has a distinguishable gait. I never could see it, and I watched it three or four times. But supposedly he you would have been able to pick him out of a crowd, say at a fucking airport, if he was walking through a terminal to get on a plane. But do the Keystone cops in Toronto do that? No. No, man. We just forgot to contact the the airports to see if anybody was fleeing the fucking country after killing a billionaire. Wow. Police make it known that the investigation has taken a, quote, international direction, and they believe that the key information they need is located in one of five countries across the globe. Are they releasing those countries' names? You bet your ass they're not. They're not saying a fucking word. Will this case ever be solved? I don't think so. I really don't. Even with a $35 million reward. I really don't think. It's been six years now. Or it will be six years this year. It'll be seven, might be seven years this year. Yeah, it'll be seven. Be seven. Yeah, 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 seven. So, Apotex was just sold in 2022 to an American chemical company to the tune of $3 billion with a B dollars. Lauren and Kaylin, two of the daughters, have left Canada and basically become very recluse, trying to just get away from all of it. Alexandra, the oldest daughter, and Jonathan, the only son, remain in the Toronto area and both make statements on the fifth anniversary of the parents' murder, urging 
the public to come forward with any information. Alexandra makes her statement first, saying there's still a $10 million reward. Jonathan, Timmy toppers her and says, not only is there a $10 million reward, but I personally and my companies are putting in another $25 million to raise it to $35 million, none of which has led to any information. For $35 million, I can't believe nothing has come out of it. That's what I don't understand. Like... They have to know who it is, and they just don't have the evidence. And we talk about this all the time. They just obviously cannot figure out. Or, I mean, they just can't find that one piece of evidence that's going to just nail their ass to the wall. And if that's the case, I will tip my hat to the Toronto Police Department because y'all have shit the bed on so many different avenues of this case. If you really do know who it is and you need that one key piece of evidence and you're holding on to it, hats off. Now, Kevin Donovan won a citation of merit from the World Press Freedom Canada for his investigation into this case. When asked if he had a suspect, Mr. Donovan stated that he has a suspect that he likes, and he believes the police like the same person for the murder. But neither the police nor Mr. Donovan have the evidence to back up any of their theories and will keep their person of interest to themselves. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the case of Barry and Honey Sherman. It's crazy, man. It is crazy. I just can't. I can't believe for $35 million there's no information. That's just insane. If I knew anything, anything, I would be telling me, telling it. Yeah, so if I'm sure it, it doesn't work like this. I'm sure that other things happen. But let's just say, for shits and giggles, that each one of those kids got 25% of Apotex when it sold. Each kid walked away with 25% of $3 billion. Not so a bad payday. If you, for those of you that ain't good at that math, what you do is you take that $1 billion, you divide it four ways. That's $25 million apiece. Okay? $250 million. <clears throat> That's what I meant. Come on, bro. I was clearing my throat, <laughs> man. So $250 million times three. <laughs> They all walked away with just shy of $750 million when the company sold. Eh, not a bad payday. No, sir. No, sir, it ain't. All right, so for my theory, I really do think the Toronto police know who it is. I'm not sure whether or not this international direction that they have put out there is to throw off the killer or killers, but I do think it is someone with close ties to both Barry and Honey. And what I mean by that, if they're not family, they were considered family. They were that close. Uh, I think that's probably right. As for the other theories out there, there are some crazy theories out there that he was killed by Mossad, and I'm like, really? Mossad? Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, hold on. The After Clinton- all their charity? Yeah, 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 yeah. Towards Israel yeah, and the Jewish yeah, population, yeah, 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 they're going to yeah. be killed by Mossad? It gets better. He once made a contribution, or she made a contribution to the Clinton Foundation, so the Clintons had him killed. Oh, here we go. I knew. See, I knew you'd love that one. There was another harebrained one out there about, God, what was it? It was like a a distant cousin from his uncle's wife's side of the marriage that found, it was like, 
really pulling it strings. But anyway, yeah, if you listen, if you listen to the right wing conspiracy theorists, the Clintons are the most pro- prolific serial killers in the history of the world. <laughs> yes, they are. Well, I think uh, last time I, well, I, looking at this case, and I know that the message board I was looking on that page was like five or six years old, but they had, they were like, don't put it past the Clintons. They didn't kill 56 people. And I'm like, come on, <laughs> Jesus, come on. But anyway, so do you have a third well, there is a reason why we haven't covered that Clinton body count because we're both scared it might happen to us. I don't need any help in getting in trouble. <laughs> My, th- I think, uh, I think it's possible. A drug company just was like, "Screw it, man. We've dealt with this guy long enough, and let's just kill him for the hell of it." What would be funny? And there's people out there that will do that sort of thing for cold hard cash. Yes, and I know this is kind of a tangent that I've kind of said that I don't believe that that angle, but what would be interesting is if the company that bought Apotex is the one that started that chain of reaction of them kind of losing steam by killing them, playing the long, playing the long five or six year. Well, it wouldn't have been at that time. It sold in 2022. They were killed in 2017. So five years you playing a five year long game. Well, they might not have thought it would take that long, but you you're on you might be onto something. They said, "Well, how can we get rid of this company and acquire it for ourselves?" Is I wonder well, what it was worth right before he died. It had to be worth more than three billion, you would think. I would think so. I would think his death would cause a hit in the stocks. Yeah, that is a good. I, I do like your theory, even though I had shit on it or that whole train of thought earlier. I like it. It's my conspiracy yeah. tenfold hat coming out. Yeah, I mean, it's like that one guy that was like, I don't trust people that don't believe in conspiracy theories. Like, you don't believe in one? He's like, <laughs> I, I can understand you not believing in all of them, but you don't believe in one? Not a it's single like, one? You just think the government is batting a thousand? <laughs> it's a strong stance to take. <laughs> Uh, not one I'm going to take, I can tell you that. My money's not on the government. Um, no. Do you see where Mitch McConnell had another like short-circuit moment as he's trying to say that he was going to run for re-election? Dude, he's in it. I mean, he's in his 80s, bro. I know, I know. But anyway. I am 100% in favor of term limits yes. for the Senate and House. Like, come on. Between him and Feinstein, good God. You can't be serving... For this long, you're in your 80s. There's no way that you have your finger on the pulse of America, what Americans want and what Americans need. No. He's one of those, well, if you just need a job, just stop in and ask of somebody. If you just turn in a resume, they'll hire you. That's not how that works anymore. Mitch McConnell's like, uh, well, I paid for my college out of pocket. Yeah, it was $2 a semester. (laughs) Like, 125 years old. Like, oh, I, I got a job as soon as I got out of school. It was like, well, how'd you do that? It's like, well, I just saw a place I wanted to work. I walked in, gave them a firm handshake, and they put me working. Yeah, that's that's not how that works anymore. That's like, not, that's not, not how, how it any, works anymore, pal. Not how any of this works anymore. But anyway, but, yeah, they've got to do something about 
there shouldn't be eighty year olds in the in the Senate. There no, just shouldn't. I, I, Sorry, I percent agree. Call me a ageist or whatever, but come on. All right, so recommendations. I know you have said what yours were earlier, but you can recount it for the the good. Justified kind. City Primeval. There's a lot of things wrong with it if you're a fan of Justified, but the ending makes up for all of it. So watch it, enjoy it, and hope for the best. <laughs> well, my recommendation is basically either in this. My main recommendation is for Cody Down Under. Cody, if you're listening, I know how much you love to read. The book, Billionaire Murders by Kevin Donovan, I guarantee the book's going to be better than the four-hour documentary that I watched from the Canadian news channel that I found somewhere on God knows what address, and probably all of my information is out there at this time. But anyway, either watch that that documentary or find the book, Billionaire Murders by Kevin Donovan. He does a very good job of trying to stay impartial and taking the evidence as it comes and kind of walking through each of the evidence kind of, hey, well, you know, there's the, this car pulled up and 29 minutes passed by and then he kind of figures out, oh, you know, sounds like now that we know what's going on, looks like it was just a plainclothes officer. There was a 911 call, suspicious people in the area, so they were checking everybody and didn't get an answer, but they made sure everything was locked, which makes sense. So he does a very good job. He's not, I think he got wrapped up in this case early, and then he's such a meticulous note keeper. He was, somebody probably was like, dude, you need to write a book. You've been, you've had your hand on this case since it started and he's like well it makes sense hell i am a writer i work for a newspaper so but anyway (laughs) (laughs) a writer write a book crazy hell crazy talk crazy talk but anyway all right ladies and gentlemen you will get this the day after labor day so enjoy uh our patrons will hopefully get it for their labor day and weekend enjoyment uh we cannot thank our thank our patrons enough uh, for those of you out there that are considering being a patron, it's well worth your hard-earned cash. I mean, you get three stickers for a $3 tier. If you just join at the dollar tier, we get to say your name on air. But other than that, I will say, and I meant to say this earlier, and I do apologize. We may do it again because nobody listens after we get through. Um, Peace Cat said that she lives two hours from where this occurred and have friends that lived in the area, like either on the street or a couple of streets over from the Shermans. She said, yeah, she said it was a, it's definitely a wild case. It's definitely not murder suicide. And she said that the running theory up there is the son has something to do with it in some aspect. Um, she responds, well, I told her, I said, the documentary by the reporter for the Toronto Star, Mr. Donovan, definitely leads you to believe that the son knows more than he has ever said. And she responded with that this is her guilty pleasure case. So this is her Maura Murray case for, to tie it back to coach. Um, if you're not a member of our Facebook chat group, I know coach says this all the time. Join it. We have some of the best memes out there. We also have, if you join the group, you get access to the chat group, and we talk about everything from the hurricanes to the heat wave to God. I don't even know what somebody's talking about now. Somebody had the same last name, and they're trying to figure out if they're related now. 
I will say bad bill patron uh, on our 200 and I think it was our 200th episode. Maybe it was our 201st. I can't tell. But anyway, it said that he he states that he had spent a lot of time in southeast Oklahoma in the Wachita Mountains and the Hanobia Wilderness Area. And there is no doubt in his mind that there is something large and in charge in there. He says that he has some pics of prints and some good video showing just how dense the area is and how big it is. So all you Bigfoot haters out there, hate away, but big bad bills on our side. That's right. He's out there. Um, Miss Descharette, I apologize. Some of y'all do not stay on our ass hard enough, meaning me, to make sure that you get your decals if you are a $3 tier or above. So I think I have remedied everything except our, and I will definitely have to give this guy a shout out again because he had emailed us. He had found our Billie Jean case, the first one. And um, he was going, was telling me about that book, When Money Grew on Trees, and how Sheriff Baker, and then he founds our Billie Jean Revisited, and he's like, scratch that. Y'all covered everything. <laughs> um, but he's in a band, and I cannot for the life of me find the band's name. So I will find that in the email. Is this it? Mm, no, that's not it. So I'll find that email, and we will definitely give him and his band a shout-out. And, again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, there it is. Found it. Found it. Oh. Nope, that's the different one. All right, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to leave that one open. We'll cover the Billie Jean Rock and Roller. <laughs> Basically, is what I'm going to nickname this. The Billie Jean Rock and Roller. So, uh, we got a couple of emails about Billie Jean and all that stuff. But, uh, anyway, thank y'all. Always, you know, email us, message us. You can leave comments on Patreon, you can leave comments on Spotify now about the episodes those are private comments so you don't have to worry about everybody looking at them so if you wanted to be personal you could but that's enough of me babbling well coach him you got anything else uh you know i don't uh deuces